on, come on, come on, come on, now. And welcome to The Doors Dudes, as we take you through the doors of perception to be cleansed so everything appears infinite. Whoa. The only podcast where we drop LSD and talk about the doors for six weeks. I'm it's I'm, I'm your host, Pete. And I'm your other host, PJ. You know, I'm sure that podcast exists, but I just don't know if they record it, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that PJ, you know <laughs> You mean it's a conversation someone has somewhere? Oh yeah, de- definitely point. there are people who are dropping a bunch of acid and then talking, and talking about, about the doors for doors. six yeah. weeks. Yeah. Oh man, that's been a podcast like since nineteen sixty six. Exactly. <laughs> Jim Morris that's Jim Morrison's origin he originated podcasting. They just didn't know how to record it yet, man. Well, he, that's why the he doesn't pioneers. really sound like he's singing yeah. ever. He's yeah. just talking into the microphone because he was like, this is a podcast, right? And then yeah, Rayman's yeah. Eric was back there doing the keys and the other guys mm-hmm. are doing stuff. You know, we talked on our, like, I think first episode about all the 27 Club members podcasting together up in heaven. And now we <laughs> know that Jim Morrison already, like, he already knows yeah. that that's how you're supposed to do it. We're all going to, he's the Joe, he's really the Joe Rogan of of the uh, of the afterlife there because he's like all right guys we gotta we all gotta drop some lsd we gotta open up our minds and we can just hear everyone's opinions on and talk about on the blues our really really good opinions yeah yeah a bunch of white dudes talking about the blues hell yeah bro well jimmy hendrix is up there sorry my bad Jimmy. and robert johnson that's true well like half the people we've talked about are not white good for me for remembering robert johnson uh, that's a good question. If you sell your soul to the devil, how does that impact the afterlife? I believe it means you have to go to hell because the devil owns that soul, so God cannot get his grubby little hands on it. Uh, God does have grubby hands. It's like he's always done just, you know, uh, dry rubbing some ribs. That's right. Yeah, not really grubby. Yeah, it's like he dry rubbed some ribs and then did a little bit of gardening. Yeah. But then just, like, wiped his hands off. He didn't really wash them. Yeah, you can still tell, like, in the cracks, there's something there. It's, is that yeah, soul God, food seasoning or dirt? Yeah. Nobody knows. For Christmas next year, God needs a fingernail scrubber. <laughs> Why and some of that soap. What is birthday? that soap called? What's that? Gojo? No, what is the... Is, is it, like, the... It's the orange soap, but what the Go- fuck is it called? Gojo. It comes in the pump thing, and it's got pumice in it. I don't think this is it, but... Look up Gojo. I mean, Gojo is a soap. G-O-J-O. But... Orange... Soap for grease. Are you I swear there's Goo-Gon? a different one. Are you thinking of Gugon? Fast Orange is what I'm thinking of. One of the greatest product names of all time. <laughs> Fast Orange, uh, which I was aware of. I'd seen it in stores. I had no... I literally did not know what it is. what it was... And then one time when I was staying with our mutual friend, Jake, a friend of the show, when he lived with his brother, his brother did landscaping at the time. And I was in their shower and there was a bottle of Fast Orange there. And I like, I think because it was always with like motor outdoor stuff, I literally thought it was oil or something. and was like, what the fuck is this in their shower for? <laughs> and then like read the bottle for the first time in my life and learned that Fast Orange is apparently soap. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to... I'm going to share my screen with you for a moment. Oh, PJ uh, is presenting. No, not... Oh, okay. I'm just proving to you. I thought that meant something else. Oh, yeah. No, I looked up Gojo, and you're you're absolutely correct. Okay. You I was just, thinking of Fast Orange, though. It, it just seemed like you didn't believe me. Oh, I did. Well, I mean, I didn't I, in that I knew I knew I would know the name when I thought of it. 
And when I looked up Gojo, the first thing that came up was some sort of anime character. You know, this is a close race among every podcast, or, or between, I mean, every podcast ever made. Uh, but this really feels like the number one podcast of, what's that thing I remember? I don't know the name of it. Let's Google it. Yeah, we do that. Uh, um, if you, li- if you, you eagle-eared listeners, uh, yeah. you know, are out there, you can hear us typing a lot in each episode. That's right, yeah. It's... In our IMDb trivia, that one of the things is uh, you can hear you can often hear them typing as they look something up in order IMDb to mistakes. and usually you can usually tell that it's Pete while PJ is talking so that Pete can say something like he knew it off the top of his head but didn't actually know it. Fun trivia, IMDb trivia. PJ bought a new desk so you couldn't hear him typing. <laughs> Under the spoilers section, yeah. every member of the Twenty Seven Club is Twenty Seven. <laughs> And also, they never actually talk about, that's why God made the radio. (laughs) Sorry. That is a spoiler. Sorry, everybody. But we Uh, did talk about that one Rolling Stones album. We just lost the episode. Yeah. Well, so welcome to the 27 Club. There's a bit of a (laughs) facetious intro there. Um, We are not, we're not officially a Doors podcast, but I think we're so close. We're like the moon (laughs) It's going to be a full moon in like two days. You know, you think it's a full yeah. moon, but not quite. We're within an episode or two. I think we're fully just going to become a Doris podcast. Um, right. Yeah. Fulfilling our destiny to become. I, so it's. I feel like it's either the Doors dudes or the Lizard Kings, and I can't decide which, but they're both pretty good. If only we were yeah. two women, then we could be funnier about it and call ourselves the Lizard Queens. Oh, I was thinking the Doors Dames. Or the Doors Dames. Oh, God damn. Yeah. There's too many. You know what? The Doors, and this is why we're doing a podcast about the Doors, PJ. They're so great. They're so much fun to talk about. And they're also so current. Very I guess current. I'm not, here's the deal with the Doors, man. <laughs> I'm not a young person anymore. <laughs> I feel like when we were younger, the Doors were still somewhat relevant to the classic rock conversation. And I just feel like I never think about or see anything about the doors at all anymore well so here's the thing if you are a doors fan it's your whole goddamn personality like you make sure people know you're a Doors. you have that annual trip book to go to jim morrison's grave in paris for the first week and then the second week disneyland paris of course well if Mm -hmm. you're gonna be in paris why wouldn't you go to disney it just makes sense Um, exactly well there's the disneyland paris gang of doors fans who walk around in their mickey mouse as jim morrison leather jackets yeah well and they're very very tight leather pants that just stink yeah exactly it's mickey mouse yeah it's mickey mouse in a pair of leather pants with a little dong hanging out yeah exactly (laughs) um and like i just remember people in high school being so into the doors and maybe that's what it was yeah um somebody once told me the world was gonna show me i ain't the sharpest tool in the shed um but somebody once told me that uh, in becoming an adult is just figuring out that Jim Morrison isn't really that good. Um, and <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that touches on something I wanted to talk about, which is my perception of the Doors before we actually get into them. Yeah, let's, which yeah. is definitely that Jim Morrison is one of those people who you think is deep, and then after a few years, like when you're younger. And then after a few years, you realize, oh, he's actually not deep at all. But I don't, I've never listened to more than, 
a half dozen Doors songs, so I don't know yeah. if I agree with that assessment. That's just Ooh. maybe the cliche. Peter's a half dozen kind of a guy. Too good for the number six. Wow. Okay. I mean, look, I'm I'm old enough that I feel like I have a pretty good like view on my high school music taste. And it is sort of interesting to note which bands are pretty much just as good as they were in high school to me, you know, and like right. uh, stuff, you know, lyric, lyrical content and everything is still impactful, just possibly, you know, potentially in different ways. Um, and then which ones aren't. And I, I think it's possible the doors that rings true for the doors for a lot of people, but I'm, I'm open to the doors still being, still being meaningful to a 27 year old because Jim Morrison was 27, as we all know, at one point in his life. That's true. At one point. Um, mm-hmm. Just like Jesus was 33 at that one point, but I don't remember why I know that age for him. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, is that when he built, like, a really cool shed? I think so. Yeah, yeah, he was still... That was during his carpentry days, yeah. He and Harrison Ford took a few years off together to go woodwork. Woodwork, fly plane. Hang out shirtless and woodwork. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm like, I really liked the doors in high school. And then, so for me, what the, the fake deep thing runs deep for me because I always thought, I mean, there were some things that he said where it it would, you know, like early 2010. So like 2010 through through 2013, there would be those fucking, they weren't memes really. They were just really bad pictures of somebody with the quote next to them but then like the quote part was it looked like it was in space and it was written on like yeah. just in like white font and i there are some of those where i was like wow yeah he had some good quotes because you know i was fucking yeah just 16 um but i do i think yeah when i got to college i was like he is kind of just like a fake deep person and yeah. that, and we'll get to it, but that is also my qualm with Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Okay. I, well, and I'm interested, we'll, we'll, when we get into his, his biography here and some of his like early life, I don't, I, I'm interested to see how much of it ends up being kind of fake deep. I think a lot of it too, this is something I don't really think we've, or we've touched on like a little bit in this show and during the Beach Boys, Boys and Rolling Stone studs, but the idea of what was deep in the 60s and especially like the culture around drugs and like the expansion of your mind in the 60s is like very different than how people view that kind of stuff now. Yeah. And so I think that maybe has something to do with it where like that could because be. in the 60s it was all these people taking drugs for the first time basically. And there was, and it was not, it was a lot of young people, but it was also a lot of older people. But it was like, the thrust of it was like, drugs, it was not, I feel like, from my kind of armchair, you know, reading of it from reading books and, and stuff about the time. But like, the difference kind of was like, your baseline brain, your sober brain and your brain on drugs were like, one was not like a more fuck what the fuck pj never mind i, I guess it's not a good enough point because i don't even know how to say it so are you trying to be fake deep as well who cares no i'm just i'm trying to put into words i feel like since drugs were so new 
back then there was this legitimacy within like the community of people who took like LSD to and acid and your stuff. Mind. Yeah. Like that was a real There was concept. like this like almost scientific legitimacy to like your brain on drugs and the fact that like that was a potentially better way to live and to like operate in the world being on you know pot or acid or anything like that um and so while that like is somewhat still around i mean obviously medical marijuana is a thing now and they actually do yeah and they actually like are doing more legitimate tests on um the effects of mushrooms and lsd and stuff as a medical thing when you especially when you microdose but Take me back to the good so old I guess days I'm saying, when those were government experiments. <laughs> yeah, that's trying right. Trying to make on, super soldiers. On minorities or prisoners. <laughs> yeah. Um, Both. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like you identify with that a lot more as a younger person because you are also in a time of life when you're discovering shit like that for the first time. And so you're like, oh my God, yeah, this is super crazy and weird and deep. And like when I'm high, I understand what Jim Morrison is saying. Whereas even if you do drugs later into your life, you just have more of a balance of like, I don't know where all that's coming from. And so, and you generally in the 2020s and like, there's not really like a solid counterculture world anymore. Like most people live in the straight world and just do some drugs for fun, but like no one's actually like, I'm going to, you know, do LSD instead of my job. Cause it, it's, you know, my mind is, uh, yeah more in tune with with the earth so yeah i see what you're saying um and like going along with that it's like when you're in high school and doing drugs like i i have never been high and i still Mm -hmm. like the doors but well you're high on life exactly i don't need drugs to mess with my mind i've seen that commercial about crack and the egg and it's your mind on drugs Mm -hmm. um but with, with, with that, I think there are so many high school kids that are into Jim Morrison because, like, stoner culture is so big, basically only with high schoolers and then people who still wish they were in high school, you know? <laughs> like, sure. like, who do you know that owns a Cheech and Chong poster? High school yeah. kids and people right. who are like, oh, high school was awesome. I never graduated, <laughs> but it was still pretty cool, you know? Like... Yeah. And I think the doors kind of fall into that category, maybe, where it's like, yeah. you know, kind of stoner culture-y, so it's like cool to, you know, they've yeah. got this groovy music to back it up, you know? Yeah. I think here's another thing that I, is maybe a prediction about the doors more than anything else, but since they are so, like, psychedelic and not not even I mean I know they have a lot of songs that are are pretty much more straight up like rock and blues but just kind of especially lyrically and just their uh, like direction as a band comes from psychedelia and kind of art rock as well like they're very right. you know art arty kids making a band which I think just can age yeah doesn't necessarily age super well um, so we'll see how that how that ends up playing into it yeah because a lot of art rock like they feel very of their time they obviously have lasted like they're you know still very famous and i don't want to say that they aren't important at all to rock history but um they 
they do seem like they're very of their time. So we'll see how that, how that, yeah. what that effect has on, on us listening to them in 2022, almost well, 50 years after they started. Yeah. Along with that, there was this like huge thing when we were in high school that was, and I'm not saying this has not always been a thing or isn't still a thing, but there were a lot of people who were also getting really into the movie, like almost famous and having like mm. this weird, you know, they they really wanted to identify with the like late sixties and seventies. Um, yeah, and I'm not saying I wasn't one of those kids, but uh, yeah, you know, I do. I was never like I was born in the wrong generation kind of a kid, but I was like it'd be fucking killer to you know I've been around for all that dope music. But yeah. then there were people who like took the extra step, and I feel like there were a lot of people or a lot of kids who. I don't know who just really delved into like seventies pop culture, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. Cause obviously we, yeah, both who like could you shit. possibly be talking to PJ? I know. Right. And I just think, I, I think when we were in high school, it was like, a, it wasn't yeah. like a huge, huge thing, but there was definitely this, like it was around for sure. Yeah. Maybe I'm not making a good point at all, but um, no, you're you're just making me feel like I was very much a late bloomer because you're basically just describing me in like my junior year of college. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean that yeah. is true. I mean, you I guess like, I was. I didn't do much fun stuff in high school. So, yeah, you just listen to Christian rock. Exactly. Um, oh, I love Switchfoot. But you know, I I think that has maybe some to do with it that you don't like. Yeah. We heard about the door, like I, there were a bunch of Doors fans in high school, and now there aren't, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, there goes our. Well, I guess you actually know what you're talking about because you actually listen to the Doors, but our I, uh, I somewhat want... uneducated guesses at the Doors and yeah. why they are aren't famous. We don't know. I I would like to bring up one more Doors related thing before we move off the Doors for the rest of the show. Exactly. Yeah. Um. There was this, the, the, so the art department at our university, this was mm-hmm. years after we were not in, not years, but probably three years after. Yeah, it's like, were I would college. say now it's been years. Yeah. This was like three years after okay, okay. we were out of college. Um, but the art department, somebody posted and they were like, Hey, does anybody know anybody who'd be will- willing to learn a bunch of Neil Diamond covers? And I was like, yeah, that's me. I will yeah. do that. Um, and so then I, I, I you know, this. went to him and I talked to him. And they're like, yeah, if you could learn just as many Neil Diamond covers as you can and also as many Doors covers. And I was oh. like, why? Strange duo. Yeah. And they were like. The Jewish I, Elvis and the Lizard King in concert <laughs> together. Were you going to be the soundtrack while they did hologram, a hologram concert? You're not far off. Um, it was the um, performing arts people who were putting on a show. So they were doing stuff next door while I was out in this, like, you know, kind of concert hall thing playing Neil Diamond songs and uh, Jim Morrison songs. And it was never explained to me why that was the theme of this, of this like show. But then after that was done, I had to go be part of their performance art and play Neil Diamond and Doors songs while they were doing their weird performance what? art. 
Wow. Yeah, there was this one kid who was like playing a didgeridoo while this girl got her head shaved. It was, it wasn't wow. good. Like it was. Holy it, shit, man. Yeah. Um, That's while I was playing the performance like, in performance art and yeah. leaving the art somewhere. I don't know exactly. Where. I know, and I was like playing Cracklin' Rosie as they were doing it. It was so dumb. <laughs> well, that makes just about as much sense as Big Little Lies having a children's school fundraiser themed Elvis and Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> it's true. So not to, you know, not to continue, not to bring up Big Little Lies on every episode, but now that Sirius XM is gone, I really don't have much to talk about anymore. That's true. We don't have Sirius XM <laughs> chat anymore. Maybe Sirius I'll XM sign up for it. It's gone by the wayside. You know, I'm starting to miss it a little bit, although I've been listening. It's, it is good though, because I've been listening to more like actual music instead of just the radio all day. So yeah more intentional yeah exactly uh all right well let's jump into talking about james morrison i think that's his real name if Uh, that even is his real name yeah it is so what you're saying is we're gonna break on through to the other side yeah we're gonna break on through to the other side of the intro and uh so first of all before we get into anything else the very top of jim morrison's wikipedia page uh says quote mr mojo risen redirects here to which Mr. I say, Mo- what the fuck is Mr. Mojo Ryzen? We'll get I in, hope we'll that's get a nickname and not a song, because no, I only knew the Lizard King. I've never heard of that, but that is an insane we're, nickname. We're going to get into it in a future episode. I mean, the Lizard King is already the most ridiculous nickname it's not of nickname. all time. It's not really a nickname. I thought people called him. I thought that was his dumb nickname. No, the Lizard King is a dumb nickname. Yeah, Mr. Mojo, Mr. Mojo Ryzen, not a dumb nickname. Not a song, not a nickname. I don't know why it redirects there. I'm excited. We'll get we'll get to Just, it. It's... Yeah, that's a fun tease for everyone yeah. who knows and doesn't know what that means. Yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna come up. <laughs> right in if you want if you know what Mr. Mojo Ryzen is. All right. So Jim Morrison uh, or should I say James Douglas Morrison was born in nineteen forty three, same year as Janis Joplin and Alan Wilson. Weird. Ooh. At this point, we're three for three on the last three people being born the same year. <sighs> That's spooky. Uh, in Florida, to uh, he was a, a, mili- a child of the military. Uh, his father was in the Navy. This sounds like another James we had on the podcast. That's right, right? His dad is in the Navy. Uh, although his dad was more successful in the Navy, he did not get dishonorably discharged. Um Oh, he, fucking try hard. Yeah, Ugh. he ended up, he would become a rear admiral who commanded ships in the Gulf of Tonkin, which was the the event that, like, started, I'm putting that in quotes, the Vietnam War um, in the mid-60s. So, um, real fun, real great. Uh, I'm curious whether that makes Jim Morrison, like, a true counterculture person because he abandons his, you know, his admiral daddy. Um, or whether it makes him like a poser counterculture person because he actually is like, you know, close to his family. And so he's not a real hippie. We'll see. We'll he's see how not... that plays out for him. Oh, you don't want me to tell you right now? No, I'm I'm setting it up so that we can knock it down later, PJ. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I found that intriguing. That like, you, you know, know a, a very famous member of the counterculture's father was like, you know, involved in as a high level... Um, naval military official in the vietnam war like that's that's something um you know i was thinking about this the other day i think the doors might be the band i know the most about 
from any band we've talked about so far. Wow. Including the Rolling Stones. Hell yeah. Well, this is exciting. Why am I? Yeah. So take it away, PJ. What else? Oh, about no, you no, no, no. Just kidding. Well, let me leave off where you left off on the Wikipedia page. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so see. he was born in Florida and moved around a lot, of course, having a Navy dad, Navy daddy. Uh, lived in San Diego, Virginia, Texas, Alameda, blah, 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 blah. Um, he, for some reason, whoever wrote at least this part of his Wikipedia page, makes sure in like the very first paragraph to point out that he had, he was of European ancestry. Really? Cool. I couldn't tell that from fucking looking at him. Couldn't tell that from looking at him. Don't know why that matters <laughs> or why we really need to know. Are that you telling me the last name Morrison dude? is European? Uh, I just found that to be very interesting. Um, so, uh, I think honestly, from what it appears to be pretty normal childhood, all in all, I mean, he moved around a lot, obviously, but was fine in high school. He started to kind of become a little bit of the Jim Morrison. We, we now know and love, um, through reading books. He loved reading and had an appetite for, uh, what we would now call cool kid books. Uh, <laughs> so read. can I guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My guess is that Dylan Thomas is in there. I know he's a Ooh, poet. Let me double check. I didn't write that one in my notes, but I bet it is. Allen Ginsberg. Allen Ginsberg is there. I do not see Dylan Thomas. Damn it. Uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti? I Yes. Wow. Fuck Damn, yeah. <laughs> and probably Jack Kerouac if this yep. was 60s. Yeah. Yep. How many yeah, are this there? is like yeah, late fifties, early sixties. Yeah. They list a few. I was gonna mention Nietzsche, of course, Kerouac. <laughs> Not uh, one I would have guessed. Yeah, several like French philosophers, Balzac. Uh, okay, so he's just lots of you know avant garde. Yeah, yeah, that's why uh, cool kid books. Um, right, right, right. Avant garde writers. At some point. <laughs> In high school, his English teacher was suspicious that he was making up books that he was writing his reports on uh, because he wrote several book reports on demonology books from the 16th and 17th century. Wow. And back in like 1958 or whatever, the only way to really confirm that these were real books, apparently, I mean, they uh, one would think they would have asked him to bring them in. That, that yeah. seems like a pretty good way to know whether that's a real book or not. But instead of that, apparently, that did not occur to these teachers. Instead of that, one of them ended up on a trip in Washington, D.C. and went out of her way to go to the Library of Congress to, like, ask them to look up those books to make sure that they existed. So, hmm. yeah, he was very cool. Um, after high school, he went to college in Florida he went to Florida State, where he was arrested for being drunk at a football game, which... Who hasn't? Yeah, I'm like, I guess they arrested people in the 60s for being drunk at football games. Now they encourage it, so... Yeah. You fill in the blanks. Uh, and I think... I don't... Uh, not related to that, but then at some point transferred to UCLA. That Not related be... to being arrested. I don't think he got kicked out or anything, okay. but... I'm, I'm going to stop you here real quick, Pete. Yeah. That must be one part of the counterculture that survived, is getting drunk at football games. Jim Morrison You know, yeah, all those football dads don't realize, yeah, that they have that in connection with Jim Morrison. Yeah. I mean, they also <laughs> pull their dick out game. a lot, so... <laughs> True. Um, 
So he transferred to UCLA at some point or at a certain point and got a degree in the theater program. Of course. Continuing to be a cool kid. (laughs) Also, the first person who has completed college in our in our short. Oh, wait, no. Alan Wilson might have. No, Alan Wilson did not graduate. Everyone else dropped out of college and Jimi Hendrix didn't go. So, I mean, when when you die young, you don't got time for college. Um, That's right. And I think interestingly, I mean, I'm I'm guessing this is where his Navy daddy came in, just that yeah. he came from a family that had uh more expectations from him than, you know, dropping out and starting a band, but I I am curious. I'm sure I could read a book on it, but I'm not going to. But I'm curious whether there was strife in the family that he would get a like theater degree from UCLA when his yeah. you know he came from a family a Navy is, family and stuff. Is he the only person, including the Beach Boys, boys in the or sorry the Beach Boys and the Rolling Stones that would have graduated college? I don't think Keith and Mick went. I don't know about the other two. Oh wait, 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 yeah, wait, Al, Mick, Mick Al went Jardine to went to be a dentist. Yes, Al Jardine was a dentist, and then none of the other Beach Boys went to college. Uh, Mick, I forget if Mick graduated, but it was a rift early in their early on in Rolling Stones that he went for, yeah, and Keith was like pissed that he had a backup plan, basically. Right. I forget if Mick graduated or whether he dropped out. It's whenever they got their first contract, I think he would have, you know, or their first album contract, he probably would have dropped out if he was still. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think a rare for the 27 Club, I think this is going to be a rare college graduate. (laughs) (laughs) we're talking about so uh so this is really when jim comes into his own i think the summer after he graduated ucla in 1965 comes into his own what (laughs) his own bean he moved to venice beach and this is the greatest sentence i think i've ever written or said on this podcast where he lived on a roof and lived and ate canned beans and lsd exclusively for the summer (laughs) wow Wow, that sounds like the summer I spent in uh, San Francisco. Where is he? Venice Beach. How do you he live on a roof? On a roof and ate only canned beans and LSD. And he, this was in San Francisco, correct? No, Venice Beach is like a, oh, right. a beach no, sorry. suburb yeah, of LA. Yeah. Does it rain there? <laughs> no. Okay. It's actually like it's doable is the crazy part. I mean it, it probably rains occasionally, but during the summer it shouldn't it shouldn't rain. Hmm. If anything, it would just get crazy hot, which makes me wonder if like did he build like a little lean to yeah. or something? Was it like was it like a roof that was like made to be a patio, you know, so they had maybe the slatted wood type thing on top? Like just maybe. was there anything or is he just like did he have like a camp chair? Well the ironic thing is that and there's no doors of beans. Where'd he get the name of the band? How was he inspired for that, you know? I think that was the LSD. Uh, Elsie Huxley, yeah, famous, yeah. famous uh, high author, um, drug author, I guess. Uh, really, this just makes me want to hear Jim Morrison write his own version of "In My Room." <laughs> on my roof. based on yeah, on my roof, <laughs> my can of beans and LSD. Huh. <laughs> wow. All right, that I might have to write that parody song for this run. We'll see if I remember that. All right, uh, so <laughs> I got, all right. Um, he also, unsurprisingly, he spent a lot of his time writing poetry on the roof. <laughs> wow, oh, shocker! 
I want I we spent this whole beginning being with me being like I I'm open-minded to liking the doors and now that I'm rereading what I wrote literally this morning in the notes I'm like there's no way I can like the door <laughs> he's like what a, a ridiculous theater, human a theater being. graduate from UCLA living on a roof on the beach eating acid or taking acid and uh writing poetry full-time the summer after he graduates is I'm pretty sure it's wow. one of the subplots to the Gilmore Girls. Wow. Um, so, uh, well, and a lot of his poetry, yeah. So he wrote a lot of a lot of poetry uh, on on my roof. So, one day he was walking on the beach, and I assume high with eating a can of beans with like a, a little like um, clamshell instead of a spoon that he found on the beach. I assume as much. Yeah. yeah. Um, he likes, he didn't have salt on the roof, so he would come and like get some salt water and pour that on the beans so he could season the beans. <laughs> yeah. You got- this makes me want, like, what are these beans? Okay, so are these beans, <laughs> is this just like a tin of like mixed beans, like kidney, pinto, black beans? Or is this like a tin, see, I think like camp beans, maybe with like some little bacon bits in there like or something. Like pork and beans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it that or is he just eating like regular like plain green Heinz beans all summer? My, my mind immediately went to just baked beans. Yeah. Nothing added, but then I thought it'd be funny if it was refried. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, after they sit on the roof for long enough, they're they're refried for yeah, sure. Refried, no matter how they yeah. start a summer in Venice. <laughs> All right. Um, so he's eating beans on the beach, uh, and <laughs> I trips over in his LSD haze. Uh, one of his friends from school, Ray. How did you pronounce his last name? It's Ray Manzarek. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that makes more sense than how I was pronouncing it in my how head. How are you pronouncing it? Manzarek, of course. Okay. Yeah. Uh, trips over his friend Ray Manzarek and Ray pops his sunglasses off and is like, oh my God, Jim. And Jim says, a lizard on the beach? Um, you want some beans? Um, so they, unclear whether they go back to his roof. <laughs> come on in. It's uh, <laughs> not, not much. But, come back uh, to my place? Yeah. It's up uh, the stairs. Sorry, it's, it's kind of messy. This, we have to tr- climb the trash cans in the back. <laughs> Um, if you hop from that trash can, yeah, to the was big he palm squatting tree? on a roof, or was this like some friend's house that he knew? Did anyone know he was on this roof? How easy was it to get up there? <laughs> okay, so unclear whether they go back to the roof or whether Jim's just walking around holding his sheaf of poems, but he shows Ray his poems, uh, which. I just, that's of course what you do as like a 21, 22 year old walking on the beach, eating your beans. Of course you run into a friend and you're like, Hey, what have you been? We graduated a couple months ago. What are you up to? I'm living on a roof. Here's my poetry. Read it. Right. Check out my poetry. Maybe he (laughs) had it written on a memento style. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. But paper's hard to come by on the beach or on the roof, man. He wrote it in bean juice. (laughs) On, in bean juice on the bean wrappers, he peeled off the cans. Um, so Ray thought they were great, which just shows I I don't care how good these lyrics are. If that's your origin story, Ray has to just be kind of in love with Jim. Right? Come like, on, baby, <laughs> light my fire. So Ray 
loved these lyrics, thought they would be great song lyrics, and convinces Jim uh, that they should start a band with these lyrics as like their, you know, their first songs. Uh, so at the time, Ray was part of a group called Rick and the Ravens with oh. uh, two of his brothers. Um, and so they start playing with them. They get a drummer, John Densmore, and a guitar player. Uh, well, Robbie Krieger actually, I think, joins a little bit later. So they originally start with like the Ravens and they get a bass player and I think the drummer, John Densmore, and start playing a little bit. They record a demo, but then shift the lineups that they're just the four, the classic foursome of uh, Jim Morrison, Ray Manzarek, John Densmore, and Robbie Krieger. Those are the doors. That's the doors. Uh, so the band name, part, part of our intro, and uh, we've referenced it a couple times already, the band name comes from Aldous Huxley's book, Doors of Perception, about taking psychedelic drugs and how you can open the doors of perception, uh, which Boo. actually does make me, it uh, makes me like the name actually just slightly more like, cause the doors attached to nothing, I think is kind of a dumb name, but I do appreciate some good, like pre sixties drug culture, like before, you know, like that kind of early, uh, 20th century, drug culture when no one really actually knew what LSD was. And you were just that one guy who's like, I think I've seen God and no one else has now. So that's pretty I've cool. taken I this thing write called lysergic acid dithylamine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. I just have never thought it was a good name for a band. I don't know. The Doors. I'm also pretty, there are a lot of, I don't like, I don't think the Beatles is a bad name for a band. There's a lot of bad band names. The Beach yeah. Boys is a bad name for a band. Yeah, the terrible. Rolling Stones. Eh. That one's, that one's okay. Yeah. It's not my favorite, um, but it's fine. Big Brother and the Holding Company? No, that one rules. That's a good name for a band, I think. But Big Brother and the Holding Company and Janis Joplin? Bad name <laughs> yeah, for a band. Yeah. They had to break up at that point. Yeah, exactly. Um, So they started playing together. They got their first residency, which, as Ooh. we know from uh, Big Brother, was very important in a band's career in the 60s. They got their first residency in early 1966, playing a cub club called London Fog, where they were on a bill with Rhonda Lane, the exotic dancer. Oh, <laughs> yeah. and where they made those fancy tea drinks. I think so. Um, then they, yeah, you had to, everyone was wearing overcoats and had brawlies inside, yeah. and they all, yeah. The, yeah. Sometimes the soccer match, or excuse me, the football match would be on the TV instead. Right. They just really cranked really loud, to... and so they'd have to play over that. Yeah. Um, they moved up later in the year uh, and got a gig as the house band for the Whiskey A Go Go, uh, which was an extremely famous club in the late '60s through uh, the '80s. Yeah, unclear. I know it closed at some point, but I don't know how long it was open for. I mean, Let's look that up. Yeah, I would. I would guess it closed in either the early '90s or the late '80s because I know that Motley feels right because I do feel like it was a disco club. Like at some point. Yeah. Well, well technically it, it's still open. Oh, apparently. That makes but sense. But I don't know if it's the same, just the same name that someone like reused. So right. let's look. Well, so Van Halen and Motley Crue both kind of got their starts at the mm. Whiskey Go Go. Okay. Oh, wow. This is actually kind of interesting. Okay. So it was opened in 1958 in Chicago. Uh, as an American version of a European style discotheque. Uh, and the 
and it stole its name from an actual European discotheque, the Whiskey A Go Go, from that was a club in Paris. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, interesting. Wow. The Sunset Strip Whiskey A Go Go was founded in 1964. In 19, wait. It all comes back but to where? Paris, man. I feel like it does change locations or something, but let's see. Maybe not. No, I think it's, I mean, at least according to their uh, Wikipedia page, it's been the same whiskey a go-go the entire time. Yeah, I think it's the same. Well, that's wild. I really thought it closed down and then... I mean, I don't think anybody really like, cares about it anymore, right? I mean, I think it's just, I think it's still a concert venue, but it's just more like indie bands and stuff play there. Like, it's not an important, you know, club in the rock scene. Not that there is a rock scene anywhere anymore, really. So, anyway. Yeah. Um, very interesting. So, they played as the house band for Whiskey A Go-Go, and apparently, kind of formative early in their career for many reasons... They opened for them, Van Morrison's first group, when they toured through the U.S. in 1966. Wow, what an odd pairing. Yeah, well, so this confirms what I said on uh, during Big Brother, the first episode of the Big Brother um, or Janis Joplin's podcast when we were talking about Big Brother getting their start. Their job as the house band was to, they just played every night and then were the opener if there was a touring act in town. So, oh, that um, makes sense. Yeah. So, yes, strange pairing. However, apparently Jim Morrison really looked like liked Van Morrison. And, Probably because they're brothers. Yeah. And Van Morrison was like a fan of his and they played a couple songs together. The bands, like the bands got on stage together to play a couple of the, of them's songs. Here's my impression terrible name of- for a band. Oh, them is a bad name for a band. It's um, funny on paper, but as soon as you start trying to have to say it in a conversation, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, because if, if you have to, you know, add ownership yeah, to yeah. them songs. Yeah, that's stupid. Um, it's stupid. Do you want to hear my... them? Terrible. Oh, wait. Nope. No, never mind. Yeah. Do you want to hear... <laughs> hear my impression of Jim Morrison singing a Van Morrison yeah. song? I would love to. This probably is going to sound a lot like when he actually sang with Van Morrison. Let's see, Van Morrison karaoke. <laughs> wow, Brown Eyed Girl, surprisingly, not the first one that comes up. Wow. What's the first one? That, uh, Wait, Gloria? No, Into the Mystic. The fuck now? I don't even think I know that song. Not a At good song. off the top of my head. Oh, Thank God. I, moon dance is what I should have guessed for his first one. By well, it's a marvelous <laughs> night for a moon dance with the stars above in your eyes. That's what I think Jim Morrison sounds <laughs> yeah, like. I think that's probably exactly what it sounded like. So apparently, according to a Van Morrison biographer, um, who I assume like did a lot of research into this show, uh, claims that Jim Morrison picked up a lot of his onstage persona from this Van Morrison concert. Uh, so Van, yeah. So apparently at the time Van Morrison was known for like being really wild and crazy on stage and jumping around a lot and also being kind of like pulling his dick out. Yeah. Like crazy and like leery and menacing and stuff. And like, 
he also Snaky. did a lot of like improving poetry while the band was jamming and like down to apparently it was a thing van morrison during instrumental breaks would like crouch down back next to the drum set and jim morrison like in future shows did all of that stuff like just hmm. kind of copied his thing well and then you think um, about van morrison now and it's like oh that guy who just kind of stands there it seems like yeah yeah, Van Morrison Young was pretty wild. Uh, and yeah, this reminded me of a story. Hey, speaking of, before the show, we were telling stories about awkward interactions because we're a couple of Weird white dudes. dudes in 2020, which is most of our most interesting stories. Um, I had a job somewhat recently uh, and was somehow was kind of talking about music with my boss, but like not that in depth. But just enough that she said, oh, did you know? Oh, I think it was, I think a Van Morrison song was playing like on, at, in the store. And we were just kind of like chatting. And she said, oh, did you know Van Morrison actually was in like a punk band? And I said, really? That's weird. Like, oh, that's okay. Interesting. She's like, yeah, that was like his first band was a punk band. And I said, oh, no. Okay. And then the con- and then we just kind of like talked about other stuff. And I thought about that for so long because <laughs> I was trying to figure out what the fuck she was talking about. Because I was like, I not current politics aside, I really really like Van Morrison. Yeah. Um, like, uh, love he's, love all eras of Van Morrison. Actually, I, he's fantastic. Yeah. I will say he's he's the like Eric Clapton was no big deal because it's like oh his music already yeah. sucks. But Van Morrison, he's... Van Morrison fucking rules. Yeah, yeah, it's, he's yeah, got it's great a, music. A rough one. Um, although uh, if we're gonna <laughs> if we're gonna do this, not quite as bad as Eric Clapton, at least from what that's, we know. That's so, true. Anyway, he hasn't written a song about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I was just like, I mean, I know he was in them, but like. I wouldn't really call that. But then I was trying to think of just like, does she know what all of that is? And just, we have different definitions of like what punk music is. Cause them were like, they were garage rock basically. And so it's like, is she just like lumping that in? Because compared to what, you know, Van Moore, like compared to brown eyed girl, that is kind of punk rock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or did she like think them was from yeah it, yeah it was all like i have no idea but that's she, not i was like i can't bring was that she back thinking up. of somebody else i don't think so i mean it seems right that it just the word pun that's basically the only thing just like did you know he was like yeah. he had like a totally different band that had a totally different sound early in his career well, that was like much more maybe crazy she read than like what one of those for. shitty cracked you know like Picked up Van Morrison, the godfather of punk rock. Yeah. You think Iggy Pop invented it? No, it's Van Morrison. Van Morrison was the first punk rock. And it's just like so dumb. And it's like technically. Maybe. You're. Well, no, you're technically wrong. Yeah. And you have very little standing. You know, like. I mean, it's like a vaguely interesting topic to debate, I guess, among very nerdy music nerds. Yeah. Eh. Anyway, so I just can't think about them without thinking about the person who may- maybe thinks they're punk rock. <laughs> um, so they're as the house band for the Whiskey a Go Go. They 
are overheard by a band who I've never heard of before, uh, but are integral to the Doors story, a band called Love. Oh, yeah, Love. You got me. Never I've never of heard of Love. Uh, but apparently the band, a band called Love, but not the name. The name is Love. It just is another ridiculous name that's hard to say in a sentence. Uh, someone from Love recommends they're signed to Electra Records, and they tell Electra Records, hey, there's this sweet band playing at the Whiskey A Go-Go you got to check out. So Electra Records president shows up and watches a couple shows, and then he brings Paul Rothschild, their their in-house producer, another night, and they sign the doors to Electra mm. Records. Uh, three days later, the band was fired from the Whiskey A Go-Go after Jim Morrison <laughs> wrapped an improvised explicit retelling of the Oedipus myth over the end. Yeah, of course he would so, do some bullshit like But that. hey, they got their... They got their record contract, so I guess it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. So, The Doors then start working on their first album. It was recorded at Sunset Sound with Paul Rothschild, which we talked about both of those people uh, with Janis Joplin's uh, final album. Um, uh, And it was just on a four-track recording, which we've also talked about a lot. Most interestingly here... They actually just used the four tracks. They didn't do oh. any mixing down or anything. There's only four of them, so it makes sense. They put the bass and drums on one, guitar and keyboard on two, vocals on three, and left the fourth empty for overdubs. So like some songs, they only use three, which is wild. I think there's only one song on here that I know for sure they didn't overdub on, but still, like, pretty pretty wild. So, so did, did uh, Robbie Krieger play bass as well then? So this is... Let's yeah, let's talk about this because this is actually maybe the thing I know the Doors most for, a band without a bass player, which as to to me has always been a reason for me to ignore the shit out of them because bass is one of my I I would say it's probably my favorite instrument when it's played well. I mean, it's better than and, letting a bassist sing though. Yeah. And I don't understand why you would start a band without bass and i only know to be fair a couple of their songs but the songs that i know i'm pretty sure don't have bass on them so anyway so here's how they here's how they did it jim morrison sang obviously with those pipes how do you not ah a real Uh, crooner that one yeah ray manzarek plays organ piano keyboards and then he has a fender Rhodes electric bass so what they do live is ray plays the bass piano with his left hand, his electric bass piano with his left hand, and then like an organ or keyboard or whatever with the right hand, right. generally. So they have a quote-unquote bass part, but it's not a traditional bass. Um, and then they thing, have Robbie Krieger on guitar and John Densmore on drums. One but thing in you the, cannot oh, fault the doors for, Yeah, Raymond Zarek's a fucking awesome p- yes, pianist. Yes, he is a, yeah, he's an impressive musician for sure. Um, so, but in the studio... They do do some overdubbing with Robbie Krieger plays bass on, I think, one or two songs, and then they have a like studio guy play bass on a couple songs as well. Okay. So okay. so they do add some bass in the studio, um, but we'll get to how um, helpful that is to their sound when we do our track-by-track, track, maybe. Uh, so... The first single... Sorry. Oh, so during recording... One thing that I found very interesting was that Paul Rothschild <laughs> forbade Robbie Krieger 
uh, from using his wah pedal because he thought it would make the music sound dated. Huh. Which is really, really weird. Yeah. Because I would say 1966 is extremely early for a wah pedal That's use quite early in rock wah. music. Maybe he thought it was just going to be a fad. Yeah. May, yes, maybe it's early enough that he was like, this is a dumb thing no one's going to use anymore. And then two years later, Jimi Hendrix is the most famous guitarist in the world for yeah. using a wah pedal. And then the now so. fucking everybody does. Um it's like the opposite of a Mellotron where they're like, this shit's going to be huge. And then the Beatles used it and that was it. Right. Well, and it made me laugh though, because I just said, we're going to get to the bass on the album, but uh, there's a lot of fuzz bass on this album. And Paul Rothschild should have told the outdated shit to that, (laughs) that guy rocking the fuzz bass in 1967. Cause nothing or 1966. Cause that shit sounds dated for sure. Um, So the, uh, so they recorded it during August and September. They delayed releasing it till January because Electra thought it would sell better for whatever reason. Um, January 1967. You got to think record producers at the time are just fucking guessing. Yeah, January. That's going to be good for that Doors yeah, album. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird time. Yeah, because like now, generally, when things, when places want things to sell well, whether it's like a movie or uh, a a product or whatever like generally they try and release it in the fall because holiday shopping is such a huge thing so it's like or late summer yeah right um and then now with music it's a thing to release music in the spring right before you start your spring and summer tour so then you're like touring off a brand new album so there's a lot of like publicity and everything about about your band or your singing your singer so i don't know why january was that's also their choice but the worst time yeah go ahead that's, I mean, like, no movies come out in January because... Yeah, that's where they hide movies, for sure. Yeah. The bad one, yeah. So, it worked, though. The album did go to number two. Um, eventually, it, did, it took a little while, but it went to number two. It got stuck behind Sgt. Pepper's that summer. Uh, second time that's happened to a Tony Seven Club member. Yeah. Um, summer of 67, I think, in the UK charts, Are You Experienced got stuck behind Sgt. Pepper's. Which, um, I get yeah. it. The first single was Break On Through, uh, which didn't break into the charts <laughs> at all. It, it stopped at like number 140 or something ridiculous. Uh, but the summer, I think the summer of 67, they released Light My Fire uh, because so they were they got a lot of requests or apparently DJs were getting a ton of requests, call-in requests to play Light My Fire. Um, and they were all enough that they Morrison. asked the studio like they, that got that data gets passed on to the studio i guess at least back in the 60s and so they cut a single version of light my fire for radio play and then that went to number one which was electra's first number one hit wildly hmm. so yeah pretty pretty interesting stuff um so that's i think everything pj i think that is everything we need to know about jim morrison and the doors before we Start talking about their debut album. The Doors. Is there anything you, as a uh, as a longtime Doors fan, need to add? Oh, I wouldn't say that. Oh, okay, okay. Um. Oh, longtime Doors person with Doors knowledge. Former Doors fan. <laughs> um, former Doors reformed Doors fan. PJ Willett here to talk. So you'll hear this, um, like in the album, and I, I don't know if you knew this beforehand. But um, Ray Manzarek and um, 
Robbie Krieger were both um, classically trained. So mm. um, Robbie Krieger was like I did not know that. I and I I think this is true. This is like I'm going within the depths of my memory. He did not own an electric guitar before joining this band. He only played Robbie classical Krieger? nylon guitars. Um, Ooh, let's look that up. And was a classical guitarist. And Raymond Zarek grew up, um, you know, playing classical piano. And then, like, I think when he went to college, he got keyboards and organs and stuff and got into rock music. But Robbie Krieger yeah. was not, much like Charlie Watts, was not a huge rock and roll guy before joining this band. He was just a very, very talented classical guitarist. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Now you're going to tell me how wrong I am, aren't you? Well, you're not you're not wrong. Uh, I mean, yeah, so according to Krieger's Wikipedia page, he started playing flamenco guitar. Like that's the first kind of guitar he learned. At some point, he went to Puerto Vallarta, um, Mexico, where he bought a Ramirez guitar. Yeah, okay, so another classical guitar. Sorry, I was getting him confused. What's the other R that makes, like, electric guitars now? Uh, Fender. I think I was thinking of Ibanez, honestly. Okay. Um, So, yeah, so played that. He played many genres, including flamenco, folk, blues, and jazz, and apparently played in a jug band. Hilarious. Whatever that means. Um, And, yeah, he played flamenco guitar on Spanish Caravan, which isn't that a Herb Alpert? Spanish Flea is a... Herb Alpert oh, song. Spanish, Spanish Caravan, Caravan is a Doors song. Is it really? Oh, yeah. Idiot. So became a member of the Doors in 1965. Um, apparently, yeah. I mean, unclear, but it looks, I mean, that's all they say. They jump from that to he becomes a member of the Doors and starts playing electric guitar. So like, yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think I'm right then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you are right. Um. Wow, Ray Manzarek has a degree of economics from Damn. DePaul University. He Ray Manzarek is also somebody who, he, like in interviews and stuff, you would he not know that he fine was arts degree in cinema. A, a, a part of the counterculture at all, nor like yeah. in the biggest band of the counterculture. He's just like a dad. It seems well, he's dead now, yeah. but he just seems very like soft-spoken he always knows exactly what he's talking about he's very like sure of himself he seems very very smart yeah well at least according to ray manzarek's wikipedia page he did not ever take any music classes (laughs) like they never mention him yeah anything about his music playing basically oh i thought all the other he has two degrees in cinematography and economics but cool they never mention any of him learning piano Am I startled? No, you, you startled me. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, PJ, I'm sorry. Oh, Jesus.
That was a big okay. boy, y'all. I know. And welcome back to the 27 Club, also known as the Doors Dudes. We're now on the other side. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we broke through. Um, so, PJ, during the break, I did a little more research, and I found this interesting article titled uh, The Mysterious Early Life of Ray Manzarek, and the first paragraph says, No one knows how Ray Manzarek learned the piano. It's a total mystery. Biographers have attempted to figure out, but do not know. The first evidence of him playing music came on record with the doors. So I, I guess no, literally no one knows. That. That's crazy. Huh? It's just wild. So we already talked. The doors came out in January 1967. We already said that. We already said what their first and second singles were. We already said what the album charted. PJ, I think there's nothing left to do, but get to this track by track. Track by track, our patented track tr- 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 by track. Number one. Break on through, parentheses, to the other side, end parentheses. Which you heard part of on the break. It was just and too perfect not to play. Yeah, that's right. I will say, especially in, like, early 1967, I am surprised this wasn't a hit. It sounds very of its time, but yeah. in a way that feels like it should have been a, a huge hit. It does seem like it'd be a hit at the time. Um, Um, so break on through to the other side. This is interesting. Let's see. Break on through to the other side. Here's part of why I think it's like should have been a an interest or it just feels from the like the keyboard thing, the uh, the rhythm of it. Uh, it's kind of got that like I don't know mid late sixties poppiness to it. Feels really like it, the it organ well. in general for me is like. Yeah, it's got like a little bit of a Booker T and the MGs vibe, a little bit of like yeah. a Ray Charles vibe, and then also just like a lot of like white rock groups vibe, yeah. you know, that kind psychedelic of tempo psychedelic rock, yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, the the music on this song is really good. It is. Yeah. This is a good song. I like this um, one. She get high, PJ. She do get high. She, she get do high. be getting high. Um, Doobie. Ooh. Um, yeah, I think the only thing I don't like about this song is, like, I don't like the first part of the verses. Mm, yeah. I don't think I have any problem with this song. I like it all. I like the instrumentation. I like the... I really like the drum part. I like the... Uh, I kind of like his vocal take. I like the... The organ solos. I like his vocal take. I would. I would. Oh. I see. I don't like. I don't know. Just the beginning of the verses. I don't like. I don't like his vocal yeah. take on. But then like, there like two lines in. I'm fine with it. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I felt like I needed to find something not like about it. I sure. really hope that's not the case. I hope I'm being unbiased when I talk about the doors, but. It's a soul kitchen written about a restaurant that Jim Morrison used to go to all the time, a soul food restaurant where he would fall asleep and they'd have to kick him out. Hilarious. Well, Mm -hmm. what about his roof? I guess this is post roof. Yeah. Now he's living in a booth in a soul food restaurant. Yeah. This organ take is very Booker T. Give me, let's see. Give me uh, the beans in a can. 
on tap or in a can. <laughs> it is, man. Yeah, you're right. I For some reason, I noticed it on Break On Through, but you're right that on Soul Kitchen, it's very, like, except for the singing, this could just be a Booker T's and the MG song. Yeah. Here's my thing about Jim Morrison's vocals. Um, a lot of he people... sounds like if you or I had to be the lead singer of a band. Thank Not to denigrate, <laughs> you have a much better voice than I do, but just he sounds like your buddy gets up on stage. It well, so people a lot of, a lot of the time because he was a huge fan. I, we didn't actually didn't talk about this at the beginning. He was a huge fan of like. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, mm, like crooners. Sure. He loved that kind of music. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and so well, it's, it's all his Admiral Daddy ever played. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so he didn't. He apparently tried to like base his vocal styling mm. after that, which and a lot of people are like, oh, he's like very croonery. I do not hear that ever. I guess I only get it in that. Uh, Except he sings for like very the part, low. Maybe like that's so it. that is kind of like, especially like Sinatra e sings very low often. Well, but like, there's that song "Me and My Shadow" that uh, Sammy Davis Jr. and mm. uh, Frank Sinatra sing, and there's the part in the middle where he's like, "Oh, what is that? How does that part go?" Um, what closer to Bobby is to JFK. And he's just kind of talking in a low voice. Yeah. That's kind of what he does. But that's like the only other thing. He, it's yeah. not like he's fucking singing my way or anything, you know? No. Yeah. Uh, he Soul did Kitchen do it his way, is, I would say, solid but unremarkable. I maybe, maybe like it better it. than Break On Through. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't find this one very memorable, I like but this I always enjoy solo. it when I'm hearing it. Again, it's just Booker T. Like, this is literally just what's his name from Booker T and the MGs. Well, I like Booker T and the MGs. I do. No, they're fantastic. Um, but it's interesting. Is it Steve Cropper? Is that right? Yeah. No, yeah. that's the drum. No, yeah, that is the guitar player. God, I used to know all their names. Oh, I'm so fucking smart. You are really smart. No, wait. God damn it. Okay, where the fuck is the lineup? God damn it, Wikipedia. Yeah, Steve Cropper is the guitar player, and then Duck Dunn was the bass player. That's Donald Duck Dunn. They were both yes. also in the Blues Brothers. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right, let's get to Crystal Ship. The Crystal Ship. And if you thought this was kind of a poppy album, now you have to listen to The Crystal Ship. <laughs> yeah. At first, this you put this on at a party, and everyone's like, jamming out and now you're like i guess this is when you break out the pot yeah now we can or roll that, some joints on this this is like the part house. where in at the party we're like realizing how drunk you are and like feeling kind of bad about yourself but it's the third song on the album <laughs> yeah yeah um all that being said i really like the crystal ship and i don't know why i don't so this here, okay here I yeah. can kind of hear him doing like a crooner thing, yeah. But he doesn't have the voice for it, or at least no. he's just doing the talk singy thing. I mean, he's got a dog shit voice. Let's be real. I do not care for this song. 
Here's why I think I like the Crystal Ship is that it sounds like the intro of like a 10 minute psychedelic prog rock song, but it That's just stops like after the intro. Like it's just, it's only two and a half minutes long. Like it sounds like it should jump into something but then it just stops and that's the entire song. And I either like that because it's like pre-prog where no one even knew that could be a thing. Well, here's the crazy thing. Or I like it because they knew it could be a thing but just didn't do it. Either way, I I like that it's just like, yeah, that's it. It's just like an idea of a song. That's a huge coincidence because that's the exact reason I don't like it, so. (laughs) Yeah. I, I find it strangely interesting, but I think it's just boring. The door is similar to the, um, to a couple weird Rolling Stone songs that I liked, a couple other psychedelic ones. All the Doors songs I think I know are either from the radio or from like some movies. Yeah, or like from some playlists like that I had and listened to a lot. And for some reason, in a playlist context, I have. Like a lot more patience basically because i guess after the one song you're just moving to something completely different yeah so i kind of learned to like the crystal ship it was on like this long playlist uh, i listened to not into while. it 20th century fox this is apparently written about rayman's eric's wife ah uh, um word is out whether she liked that it was or not i don't i don't know not only might this be my favorite song on the album, this might be my favorite door song. Wow, we're getting there early. The guitar part's really great. I know. First of all. And then this part. But she's no This song rules. So this is the one or one with the fuzz bass from not happy with their use of fuzz bass. I love this song. I think this is this should have been their number one hit. This song I think rules. it's very it's a funny solid. Pun. I yeah, I was extremely disappointed this wasn't just about the opening titles to a movie. Yeah. I guess I'm maybe the only one. And then this part fucking rules. I mean, it's a good it's a very good song. I think maybe literally the only thing holding me back from it and this this applies to the whole album is i really don't like the way this album is recorded it sounds extremely dated and cheap yeah very dated in a hard um, way to listen to kind of but it's like it's not it's not um like charming or anything in any way like it just kind of sucks that it's because like the songs are good enough that you want to hear it recorded really well yeah well and for me there's not like it sounds like they just set up the mics and didn't change anything on them for any of the songs like it's all recorded exactly the same it's very some of it's very flat yes but this song it's a jam yeah all right alabama song parentheses whiskey bar so this song Speaking of, this came up on on, uh, Janis Joplin. This is a cover of a song from a musical from the 1930s. A German, this one is a German musical called Little Mahogany. Uh. Uh, 
So don't know how or why they ever heard this song or wanted There's, to cover it. They're playing a dulcimer on it, are they not? It's a marxophone, which is oh. dulcimer adjacent. Where did it go? I had something up about the marxophone. Rayman Zarek found it in an antique shop somewhere. It's a fretless zither played via a system of metal hammers, PJ. Oh, so it's exactly a mountain dulcimer. Yeah. No, not a mountain um, dulcimer. Sorry, a hammered dulcimer. Apparently this song was also covered by David Bowie in the late 70s. Was it? Yeah. It was a. I looked it up because I was like, I've never heard, but it was a B side to a single. They never oh, appeared on an album. That makes yeah. sense. I don't like it. I it sounds like I'm at like the circus. I like the verse, that like first verse part, and then the rest of it I don't love. I think I. I like that part kind of. I mean, I kind of like it more now knowing the origin of it. Yeah. At first, it's like from the song title, I just assume it's going to be like kind of a bluesy song again about, you know, them drinking whiskey at an Alabama bar or whatever. Right. But so it threw me for a loop, but it's, um, it's fine. I think I really don't like the marxophone on it. I think yeah. maybe if that was organ, it'd be a lot better. Yeah. This part's kind of cool. They seem to be, it feels a little bit like on Between the Buttons when the Rolling Stones had like a couple songs that were very like influenced by like vaudeville music hall stuff from yeah. Britain. But it, it feels like the Doors are doing a similar thing where it's like, we found this cool old song. We're just going to kind of cover it straight up. And it's just yeah. cool that we're even doing it. Yeah. It's which, like there's no interpolation. Yeah. Whatsoever. Which I like, I get it is cool, but it feels like at least maybe to our ears now it's like well we need kind of like one more thing removed from it because yeah. it's um yeah. their number one single light my fire light my fire by the doors jim Have morrison famously died at what age i don't remember born in 1943 we know that um, have we talked about the Ed Sullivan show yet? I was about to do it, but you go ahead. Or I was I was gonna get there. Well There's the lyric. Um, I'm sure yeah, everybody knows this story already, much. particularly if you're listening to this podcast. But I've the, never heard it. Really? Huh. I only know Ed Sully Sullivan from the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Okay. Well they also did the Doors. I didn't know he did any other thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was a special run, right? Like they just put the show on the air to show the Beatles and the Stones. Sure, yeah, nice. I think so. Um, the they asked him, or they told him they couldn't go on unless he changed the lyric uh, of "Girl, we couldn't get much higher." Um, I forget what they wanted him to change it to. Do you have that pulled? I up? think they just said whatever, and in, in he saying yeah. during the rehearsals, "Girl, we couldn't get much better" or something okay. along those lines. Yeah. But then, uh, so they go on live, and he looks right into the camera and goes, "Girl, we couldn't get much higher." Just says it real loud, um, and it's also the only thing because on the Ed Sullivan show, at least for the Doors, I think they did it for the Stones too. The Beatles didn't do it. But all of the music was pre-recorded, so it was just mm. the... Just singing was live. Exactly. Um, and that's really what you want with Jim Morrison. Yeah. <laughs> you need just his voice live, yeah. I want None of these other crap yeah. musicians in the band. Those fuckers. Who cares about them? Um, and so then they were banned from the Ed Sullivan show because they did mm-hmm. not adhere to his rules. Apparently, the whatever producer came backstage to tell them, you're never going to perform here again. Uh, and apparently, Jim said, hey, man, we just did the Ed Sullivan show. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. 
That kind of made me like him a little bit. Yeah. That's funny. See, there's some stuff that he does where I'm like, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. But then yeah. there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, he's just kind of a douche. Do you think, do they do interview segments on Ed Sullivan? And do you think he asked him, so a year ago you were eating beans on a roof and now you're on the Ed Sullivan show. How did you get here, Jim? What'd you use for a spoon? Was it an old seashell like <laughs> I think? <laughs> Jim, when the seagulls flocked onto your roof in the morning to pick up all the old beans and pick through the empty cans there, how'd you, how'd you get them off your, off your roof, man? You ever have an old hermit crab that tried to use a can as their new shell? Jim, you ever stand up naked and go ooga -boo 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 to scare the seagulls away? <laughs> Is that where you learned to pull your dick out on stage? Because I kept thinking it was a worm. <laughs> Just helicopter it at him, freak him out. Do you think Jim ever brought brought any lady friends back to the roof and what did that look like oh i guarantee he did i guarantee he did and i gotta guess whoever he was sleeping with that summer was like this is cool groovy yeah. it was <laughs> you it was by either, the beach <laughs> it was either hippie chicks who didn't give yeah, a yeah. shit because they were like oh yeah i fucked on a roof right. where a guy lives before or it was very rich women who like yes moved there and they who were like, like into the like roof. hippie craziness of it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 All right, so Light My Fire is like seven minutes long, which it's I did not realize because I guess yeah. I'd only ever heard the single version um, with that organ solo. It gets very jammy in the middle. It's not bad, actually. Like, I I prefer the organ solo to the rest of the song, so I guess I'd rather listen to five minutes of that. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's crazy that this was their number one hit. It is. It's also crazy that it is like by far the most played Doors song. It's one of it's one of those rock songs that is like in the in the category of so overplayed you can't even really listen to it anymore. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, like with all the songs we've talked about on this show that are like that, I I tried to give it a good listen, and I like the organ solo, but I don't think the rest of the song. I've, I haven't changed my mind yeah. on it. It's still kind of just... I don't have a negative thing to say about Rayman's Eric on this entire album, except yeah. for that Mark Zaphone is kind of stupid. Yeah. Um, I don't have a problem with Light My Fire, but it's not that great. It, I don't love it. Is it is extremely surprising that it's It's crazy that their it's their quintessential hit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Backdoor so, Man. Backdoor Man, a cover of a Willie Dixon Howlin' Wolf song yeah. from the it's 50s. It's a good-ass song, too. Um by Willie Dixon and yeah it's the Doors oh, version is fine this like is the I, oh go ahead if I wanted to hear uh, white guys sing you know old blues songs I'd either turn on Canned Heat or the Rolling Stones baby yeah yeah this is the first song where I was like oh this would be cool with some horns and then I re-listened to the whole album and was like they should have had a fucking horn section on this album dude like yeah. even with the kind of bad production and recording i'm like if they yeah. just had a horns even on like Dude, three or four songs yeah. it would have added those a lot fuckers from big brother they're not doing much yeah right like yeah uh, this song is fine but it just uh, i guess i don't love his vocal take is maybe the no, main thing i don't, that I don't well, get about this song and once again this song to me sounds very very similar to soul kitchen like it's yes. it's, it's recorded the exact same way it's a different riff but mm -hmm. you know but it's a worse vocal take i mean and yeah. it's once again very booker t and the mgs yeah and then the vocals are like 
I mean, we yeah, we, we've had a lot of white people and African-American people, but like reinterpreting the blues. Yeah. Um, and Jim Morrison is definitely the least interesting blues yeah. reinterpreter we have heard yet. It's oh, like, for sure. it's just not interesting. His voice doesn't fit with like a blues song, I don't think. Well, and and I don't even, think... he's not even trying to do the blues and it still no. just kind of sucks. Like, I think he's probably the one we've talked about who's been the least into the blues. Yeah. Like at least the Stones were like fucking blues nerds and so is Alan right. Wilson, Janis Joplin. Um, but, you know, to me it seems like Ray Eric or somebody played him this song and he's like, oh, right. we could do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can see. Yeah, apparently that. they didn't have enough songs written for the album, um, so Jim like encouraged other band members to write stuff, which is how Light My Fire came up. And then Light My Fire is Ray Manzarek, right? Uh, no, Krieger, Robbie Krieger. Krieger. Okay, yeah. And then, uh, well, wrote the lyrics at least. Um, right. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I knew <laughs> Robbie I knew Krieger Jim wrote the whole organ solo and transposed, yeah. and then wrote it out for him. Um, and so I'm kind of assuming that's where the covers come from too. Are but I don't know. Maybe they played them during their shows. Who knows? It could be. I, I don't know. Uh, so we can get to I Looked at You next. Now we get into the part of the album that I barely remember, even though I listened to this album several times. Uh, yeah, this one, I got halfway through it a lot, and then I was like, I don't remember where I left off. I'll just throw it on again. So I heard the front half of this a lot. but. Oh, yeah. I remember that. This, I think it, I think the back half of this album, aside from the end, the back half of this album has a lot of songs that I just just literally would not. Yeah. They just don't get stuck in my mind. Like they just as soon as I'm done listening to them, it's like I never heard it. And it's there's just not a lot of great songwriting here on the no. second half of the album. This song to me sounds like a Mamas and the Papas song, but uh, Jim Morrison singing. Yeah. Eh. It's I can't find anything positive to say, but I don't hate it. But it's just, meh. well, it's kind of weird that this is the first song they have like a surf guitar on. <laughs> you know, it's got yeah. that surf tone. Yeah, it's interesting how like, from the little bit that I know of the Doors, it feels like to some degree they come out like pretty fully formed. Like the whole first half of this album feels very much like, oh, this is classic Doors. Yeah, but... and they have you know like four years, five years left with Jim Morrison where, like, they're gonna, you know, keep evolving but it's, like, they come out with a lot of very like, yeah, like, this is the door sound, but then there's this shit where it's, like, it just who cares, basically. Yeah, they it's nothing interesting. Out a, lot of, a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, it definitely feels like they were, like, we need another song to fill up the back half of the album. Do you got anything? Even if yeah. it's not that good? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna uh, so end, end of the of night. The night. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's once again. It's just like literally as soon as they're done, I don't remember them, and then as soon as I start hearing it again, it's like, oh yeah, this song. I actually kind of liked this one. I like. It sounds like somebody put this on like three quarter speed on YouTube. Yeah, I like it, and I really like the instrumentation on it and the vocal, like. It kind of, it's kind of similar to the crystal shit for me, where like I like how weird, and kind of like. This sounds like it would play. End of the night like, reminds me. Go ahead. It sounds like it would play at the end of like a, Who Done It mystery movie, like over the credits. Yes, I, it sounds like yes. I was about to say it reminds me of the Dark Shadows theme music from the 60s. Like it yeah. feels like something that would be, 
yeah like a movie or, or tv song yeah i i like this one okay actually i don't like it but i don't dislike it there's something intriguing about it yeah i agree i think it's yeah it's fun i think actually wow this is the most zero to 60 i've ever gone i actually think i really really like this song like if i same with like if this was you know where crystal ship was on yeah. some you know random playlist i listen to a lot like i think i would really like this one i really like that guitar yeah apparently the slide guitar is what made jim supposedly want to hire robbie krieger as he was like messing around with that during his audition hmm. and then he only really plays it on like this and yeah. maybe the end he plays a little bit maybe i'm wrong about that i really like that guitar part the doo -doo -doo -doo. yeah it's really nice anyway maybe for me on. it just doesn't fit on the album and that's why i didn't like it but i think object uh, it does yeah, sound like the first one they recorded any differently than the rest of the album you know like they yeah. they kind of reset how the room was laid out to record yeah. this song so in Which, that way it sounds really different than the rest of the album yeah and I I don't know I really can't I maybe I like this song. I don't really know it's hard <laughs> so, man that's a real cypher this song it's uh, interesting I don't yeah. know if I like it though we can get to take it as it comes then probably let me real quick let me restart the song I don't like when a song starts right away oh, like that yeah cause like the first thing you hear is him singing there's no right. intro at all and I'm fine with no intro but like there's not even a I don't know uh this song blows oh yeah it's not good it's this here's maybe what how we should frame the kind of forgettable songs on this album they're just songs where Raymond Zarek was like that's such a great poem we have to write a song about it but like yeah. as opposed to like break on through or light my fire they couldn't write a good song so they yeah. were they're like but the lyrical content carries it and it doesn't it absolutely does not no um and also, once again, they're like kind of doing a surf guitar thing, which I think sounds awful with his voice. It's just, it's odd. Um, let's just move on to the end since it's 11 and a half minutes long. This is the end. So this song kind of has an interesting like history in the band. So originally it was written as a breakup song after Jim broke up with a girlfriend of his at the time. Um, and when they started playing it live a lot, they like it ended up kind of becoming their jam song of the set where they would improvise and add parts to it. And he like we talked about, he would <laughs> improvise poetry and stuff over the instrumental break and just make it like their long psychedelic kind of section of the of the set. Um, so they decided to put it on their album. They did only two takes of this and use the second one and did not do any overdubs on it. So this is just a completely live 11 and a half minutes of The Doors doing the end. Huh. Which is, is cool, actually. Like, impressive, I guess. This is the end. My only friend, the end. 
Um, the first time, not the first time I heard this song. Uh, the only. This is in Apocalypse Now. Yes. And it's, I think, the only time maybe they've used it in a movie, but. It wouldn't surprise me. It's a pretty cool scene that they use it in. Is it like at the end of the movie or something? Yeah, it's over the end credits. Nice. No, I think it begins. The, My favorite scene it, in the movie. Yeah. Oh, when it was over. <laughs> um, um, I don't dislike this song. It's interesting. For me, it's kind of the same thing as... Like, um, that one we were just talking about. Oh, yeah. End of the night. Yes. Um, you know, it's just, it's interesting, but I don't know if I like it as a song per se. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about long songs quite a bit recently on the, on the show, uh, between Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin. It's and true. of course, Parthogenesis. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is definitely in a tier of long songs that make me hate long songs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't like hate it, hate it, but there's, I don't think there's any way more than like the one time I did this week, I could sit down and like purposefully listen to all 11 and a half minutes of this and be invested the entire time. Yeah. In it I, as a I get song. That. It's, it's it's interesting and it's not it's not terrible, but all the children are so insane. Insane. Well, PJ, uh, what are your thoughts on the debut album of The Doors? I like when an album is self-titled as their first album. True. It's the worst when it's like their fourth album. It makes zero goddamn sense. And it's sense. their reset album. Or what, so the Beach lame. Boys, they had a self-titled album that came out in, like, the, the late 80s. 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or 80s, maybe. That was their, yeah, their, like, comeback album. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I know, picked the wrong number. Fourth, usually bands wouldn't do a reset at their fourth album. It's usually, like, their sixth or seventh right. or something. Yeah, yeah. It drives me crazy when it's their second album that's self-titled. Yeah. I don't like that. Um, you know, it was honestly a tedious listen for me like some of the songs are good but like this album seems so long because a lot of the songs sound yeah and were recorded exactly the same i Um, mean it's 45 minutes which is a little long for the time the end is 12 minutes of that but it's like even without the end i agree that it felt like a really long album every time you'd get to like track seven and be like this thing should be almost over right no it's not no we have like 20 minutes left And so for me, it was just like, Jesus Christ, when is this album going to be over? And like I said, I kept losing where I was on the album because I would do it while I was like driving for work or something. And then I'd have to like get out and be like, oh shit, where was I? Um, So I listened to the first, you know, half of it a bunch. And then I made it all the way through two, three times. And they were tedious listens, like I said. Um, So, I mean, you know. I think it's uh, they have a lot of really solid songs for it being their first album. Yeah. Um 
but that does not mean it's a good album. As an album, I think it's not a very good album. Yeah. I think the musicianship is pretty good. You know, that's about all it's got going for it. Some of the songs are quite good, but... So, what about you, Pete? I think I feel pretty similar about it. I... It was kind of, it was a weird one. I feel, I was like, I don't know about excited, but I was very open-minded going into the doors. Yeah. Uh, just because I'd really never heard them outside some hits um, and a couple random songs like Crystal Ship. And really was like, I might like these guys a lot more than I think I will. So let's get into it. And this album was such, it wasn't even a disappointment. It just failed to grab me like in, in every meaningful way. <laughs> Like the yeah. ones I already knew, it was like, yeah, I know this. I don't need to hear it again. And the ones that I didn't already know, it was like, weren't interesting enough to grab me really. And yeah. so it just kind of went by and didn't, now I'm like, am I excited for more doors? <laughs> I don't know. Right. So, um, yeah, but I, uh, I think that's all I can really say about it. It's. It continues uh, some of the 27 Club members' streak of having, like, a really famous, strong debut album. It's definitely not yeah. as good as, like, Jimi Hendrix's, you know, but... Um, right. Wait. It's, it's a decent... Is it just Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison? Who else? I don't think anyone else did. Just them. Never mind. Yeah. They're the only ones with a really famous debut. <laughs> I mean, Robert Johnson, but it wasn't really a debut, per se. Yeah, true. Um, so... Yeah, I would say for me, this is like a six out of ten. Yeah, I it's was like just better. E- it's like either that's a five average or a for six. me. Yeah. Um, it's got 20th Century Fox, so I'll go up to a six. I think that's about right. Yeah. Like it wasn't bad. It just seemed so like long, you know? Yes. Agreed. I wasn't like, oh, fuck this. I was like... Oh, and like, even though nobody was forcing me to listen to it, it, listening to it felt a little bit like some friend was like, you have to listen to this. And you're good enough friends with them that you're like, fine, I'll give it a real shot. But you just could yeah. not get into it the whole... Like, it kind of felt like that where I'm like, God, I want to get into this, but I also don't actually care. But I'm just listening yeah. to it over and over again. So... <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, anyway. is kind of what happened. The podcast being the friend. That's right. The podcast is really the th- the third character it's of the this third podcast. Of our thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, the Doors. There you go. The debut album of the Doors. Their second album comes out later the same year. So we're gonna yeah. get a check well, back in with them real soon. Yeah. What 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 month does it come out? Well, I don't fucking know. Oh, okay. We'll PJ, get to do that you think album. I read past the release date of this album? <laughs> Sorry. You're right. You're right. All right. Well. I'll see you when we break on through to the other... I'll see you, yeah, break on through to the crossroads, my man. Oh, yeah, the blue bus. Are we ending before we even finish the end? I think we should. That's that's not... We can just let this fade out as the end of the show. Yeah, that was kind of my plan. (laughs) Perfect. Well. Goodbye, it's the end.
a Beach Boys Boys production. Yeah. What's what's fun. your embarrassing tattoo story? Oh, just vaguely. It's it's just one of those I'm bad at interacting peop- with people regularly and COVID has made that even worse. Right. Uh So I went in to put down the deposit for our tattoos. Met the like out of all the people that would be working that day, only one of them was in, but so I just made the deposit with him, but then he ended up being a good one. I mean, I think we knew yeah. like from looking they on were the all Instagrams. Good. Anyone yeah. anyone would be good, so I didn't really I wasn't being picky about it. Um, but he's so anyway, fucking awesome. Yeah, was making the deposit. He's like, cool, cool. All right, I'm Patrick. And I was like, and I'm Pete. And the other guy actually is going to be PJ. So look at all of us, P names. And Three P's in a he pod. Just, he just went and then was like, <laughs> kept writing down whatever he was writing on his phone. And it was like, I don't know oh. if he like kind of didn't. You know, it's it's right. just like really like you give that little of a shit about this guy who's making a tattoo appointment that you're not going to acknowledge that at all. But also, it was a very like dad joke kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> to say, but wow. you know, whatever, man. Also, fuck him because this whole thing is ridiculous. Because I realized so all of us are people with p names. All of us, as well, after meeting him in person, are like. He might, he's probably a little bit older than us, but not by much. White dudes around the same age with fucking beards and glasses, like blondish brown beards and glasses. And it's like, fuck, we're just all the same person tattooing each other at this point. Like, yeah. this is just ridiculous. We'll just get You in a can't be circle, mad like, at my dumb yeah. little joke about how all our names look like. Yeah. Literally, we're like the joke of if you lined us all up and then asked like a person from Korea to tell who was who. It's like, no, <laughs> you can't. Hmm. Or, the same person. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, he does look like if you and I had a baby. Kind of, right? You know, like it's like a reddish, brownish, blondish beard. I have, I have the same glasses, fucking boots like as him. Same, yeah, just the exact same person. <laughs> I would, it made I me want to get a haircut and shave before I went in just so that it wasn't the three of us sitting around yeah. like the fucking Pawn Stars. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Hey, you guys like uh, liberal politics? Yeah, right. Uh, oh my god. It could not have been more ridiculous. Yeah. What are we gonna go get? Uh non alcoholic beer after this? Which yeah. is the new I the new thing, apparently, which is gross. Stupid as shit. I mean I get I I am a lightweight and I definitely do not enjoy getting drunk anymore at all. Um compared to like in college, I very much enjoyed imbibing well, yeah. as did most people in college, I think. Right. So like I I I'm no one I'm no <laughs> I'm not in love with with a uh, like drinking and drinking culture but I'll be goddamned if I'm gonna spend like basically any amount of money on a non-alcoholic non drink beer. yeah what is the fucking point there is and like one. I guess non-alcoholic beer is slightly less so but in Portland lately there have been a lot of non-alcoholic like cocktail bars opening up stupid. And I just, I actually don't get the point of it because it's like, that's just really fancy juice, which I guess yeah. like there juice are that, are you know, thing. like, yeah. yeah, juice bars are a thing. And like kombucha is obviously a thing, which is kind of, you know, adjacently fancy juice with like a weird flavor. Like instead of alcohol, oh. it's just a, uh, what do you call it? Disgusting. It's like the live culture. Yeah, but what Scobie. is it called? Whatever. Scoby. Anyway, 
So it's like, I, I get that there can be different things, but I just, I don't see the point of it. Like I'd rather have one cocktail and go home than have to drink non-alcoholic cocktails. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> like, I don't, I also don't like getting drunk anymore, but I get in a little buzz on. That's nice. Yeah, getting tipsy is the greatest, which yeah. for me now is like two to three beers, depending on if I've eaten. But it's like, that's a pretty perfect amount. And then you're not spending like $100 when you go out too. It's kind of yeah. nice. Like you just get to go out and have, you know. Yeah. Have a few oh. beers. Yeah. I mean, having like two, three beers with dinner is like yeah, primo. Two, three beers. Okay, so what I like to do, and I don't overdo it anymore. Like I just said, like, let's make this clear. I'm not going to. You're not But it's like, it. you know, two to three beers while you're cooking dinner. And then like you're, and then you have like an appetizer, like a couple, yeah. like two to three beers. Yeah. And then you eat dinner, two to three beers. And then like, you got to wash it down, you know, while you're like doing the dishes or watch some TV yeah. after like two to three beers. And well, that's have... usually pretty much what I cap it at for the night. Yeah. I think that's good. Well, and then if you have dessert, you got to take two or three shots <laughs> with that. So now we're just doing the whitest kids, you know, hot dog sketch, yeah. but with beer, <laughs> we should stop. That is a good sketch. <laughs> oh man. 